Hello and welcome back to Tech and Startups, the premier growth network for technology leaders. Let's get started. I'm super excited for this recording with Joe Wasson. He's talking to a client of mine about getting started with something called mob programming. Mob programming is when you have a crew of software developers working on one problem at a time. That's counterintuitive, right? Because you want to get the most productivity and out of the capacity of your team. So you give each uh, task to one developer at a time. But Joe talks about how maybe working in a, as a crew on one task actually uh, increases the quality of the code, um, enhances a lot of the code base, and might just get more productivity and, and as well as better culture out of your team. Now, this is done in, in Joe's way with remote teams, which is really great. Joe comes from, uh, Joe Watson, sometimes called Tall Joe. He comes from a background with uh, Stripe, with Zero, with Google, with Microsoft, and he acts as a uh, technical leader and a full-stack engineer, and you can find him at talljoe.com. Very grateful for him to come and help out members of the Tech and Startups Network. I think the most useful thing is experiment, like try it out, try different things. Like I did it one way. It worked really, really well for me um, on the team that I was on. Um, I've, and I've, I've done it a couple of different ways since then, but really mold it to what fits your team, experiment with it, you know, stick with it for as it gets uncomfortable, stick through it and then figure out like what was uncomfortable, what can we fix, what can we change, stuff like that. And then the other thing I think is really super useful is try to have like no ego in my programming. Like this isn't about whose suggestion gets picked, who's correct, who's right. It's about the team being correct, the team being right, the team choosing something good. So this is a chance to pool knowledge, to have those the same kind of discussions you might have in a code review you get to have before the code is written, before any work has gone into that and take the best ideas from all the different perspectives that you have here and get that in real time as you're building the software rather than later on piecemeal here, there and um, share knowledge and receive knowledge. This is a great way to, to share knowledge of the team, to share knowledge of practices and also learn something new. So come in with curiosity, experimentation and low ego and those are the things that inside and outside of mob programming, I think have worked really, really well. But when I did mob programming a couple of companies ago, we were very experiment heavy and we just sort of like, let's give mob programming a try. And so there were four engineers and every morning we got on a shared hangouts, um, one person would share at the screen and we just all work together. And at this particular company, we were only working four hours a day. So basically half the time of most other teams um, in the company and only one person was typing at a time. And we were as productive, if, if not more productive than other teams. And we were all remote. We we're the only remote team in the company. Um, so we were more productive or at least as productive as other teams in the company that were sitting next to each other working eight hours a day, each typing individually. So there's, there's a lot of power here. And we had really high quality code. Um, and a lot of that was because we, we dealt with the integration, we dealt with design issues, we dealt with, you know, code review feedback before the code even happened and ended up really well. So we 
usually took a little bit longer to get to quote unquote code complete, but our integration time was practically zero and we had very few bugs. I think we had one bug in production of note that we cared about while other teams were, you know, got to code complete sooner, but were integration for much longer and had to deal with production issues all the time. So a lot of that is due to my programming and the ability to have that real time sharing of knowledge, designing and getting different perspectives. Like you all have done, presumably have worked different places, have done different projects, have encountered different troubles and have solutions for that. And so it's really great to be able to be like, hit an issue and somebody's like, oh, I've done this before. The way I solved it was this. Let's give that a try. So looking forward to see how you take my programming and work with it. And uh, if you have any questions or whatever, anything I can do to help, happy to happy to do that. Awesome. Yeah, I know I, I will have some questions on the technical side of like um, the specifics of implementation for example, like driver, navigator, any additional roles, like in, in how you handled those. One of the key things I've uh, are, have read in the research is and just so everyone has perspective on this, there are two primary roles that are kind of universal across mob programming from what I've been able to see. You have a driver who is the person who is actually at the keyboard uh, and is the only person who can type out the code during their time period. And then you have everyone else is what would be considered a navigator. And they are the people responsible for designing the code, talking about it, and pretty much guiding the driver into what should be implemented. I guess my question would be is, is the driver also kind of a navigator in that they can and should interact within the discussion or should they be just solely focused on taking the team's ideas and putting them onto the screen? It's very like very much whatever works for you. Um, when we had mob programming, we didn't really have a navigator. Everyone was sort of part of the discussion. There, I think at any particular time, there was somebody who was navigating, but we didn't specifically call out the role then. Like, so sometimes the driver would also be the navigator. And sometimes there'd be somebody like, here's, here's how I think we should do this. Can you, you know, let's talk about this. And the driver would, would implement and implement it, write the code. Um, so I could, like, I think it's kind of what works for you. If so, uh, give the navigator role a try. Everyone should be empowered to contribute um, various ways. We used software called Team Viewer, and one of the cool things about it was other people that weren't the driver, if they clicked on the screen, their mouse cursor would blink on the driver's computer. So it was a good way of pointing out to say, like, I want to talk about this thing over here really quickly, or, you know, here's a typo that you have in your code, and being able to do that. And then a lot of it is, you know, the driver you know, is, is writing a lot of the code, but oftentimes code isn't being written because you're doing real time design and discussion and, and stuff like that. And, and sometimes it's just a lot, was a lot easier to be like, hey, can I drive for a second? Let me, I want to type out this code because it's easier to just type out an example than to try to explain right. what's going on. So it's, it's yeah, very much fluid. Uh, I, would, I would love to see what the, the dedicated navigator role looks like. So. Well, I was reading that everybody not driving was a navigator simultaneously. I mean, I, I have some stuff queued up where they break down further further roles, um, but I didn't want to get into that until we've actually had firsthand experience. So from what I was understanding was like 
everybody not driving was pretty much simultaneously the navigator in, in a mob programming session. So and it sounds like that's kind of how your team was tackling it as well, is that, you know, everybody could put input and feedback and talk about it. So that, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Sometimes the driver, and it, a lot of it will depend on who's driving. Um, mm -hmm. So there, there are some like anti-patterns that sometimes show up like you know somebody wants to drive every single day like okay maybe we like rotate the driver once in a while <laughs> or the driver yeah. is also navigating a lot and so that's fine but being aware of those and like the if if people are starting to feel disengaged that aren't driving or navigating mm -hmm. like identify why that is and and sort of you know figure out what can be done to to do that because what you what you don't want is one person you don't want a driver and a navigator being the same person and everyone else is a spectator. Um, right. hundred percent. So from my research, I was finding that it made sense to, you know, everyone cycle through being a driver, uh, everyone on, on the team. Typically, if you're in the same workspace, it was every around 15 minutes, but I was also reading that for remote teams, it's obviously a harder transition since you have to push your changes to a remote, somebody has to check them out and then switch over and it can take, you know, a few minutes and thus doing it every 15 minutes had a lot of a wasted time. So for remote teams, I was seeing you know, upwards of you know, 45 minutes uh, per driver session. Did you find a time that worked for your team that you kind of on average stuck with? We tried a, a few different things. There are sort of three that ended up being the, the most common that we did, depending on the project and how we were feeling. One was as soon as like, it felt like a significant change had gone through. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> depending on how you, you know, whether you break it into stories or tasks or just like, hey, we wrote, you know, we wrote a big chunk of functionality. Basically, it could be something as, as small as red, green, refactor, then swap. We also tried just time boxing it to an hour. So every hour swap, every hour swap. And then we also did it where just sort of like we kept going until it felt like a good time to swap. And that might be half an hour. It might be the, somebody's driving for an entire day. And I don't know that there was like, they both, they all have pros and cons. I don't think there was a clear winner. Um, okay. With Git and the way that we were doing things, the swap was actually pretty easy. TeamViewer allowed remote control. So it was technically possible to, for us to work on someone else's computer and, mm -hmm. and therefore we didn't have to sync code, but it, the latency and user experience wasn't great. So it was almost always better to just like check in a work in progress brand, uh, commit, somebody else checks it out, swap who's driving and that, that took usually less than a minute. Um, right. Okay. Because it's pretty much get commit, get push, get pull, swap the, the controller. And then using git to clean up commit history later, because we can go and squash commits and say, you, you know, these two work in progress, these two commits, one work in progress, one complete, just make them one commit and, and clean that up. And that was something we did preparing for code review. Because um, mm -hmm. we still had code reviews and still prepared things to, to merge, but that they were more about what did we collectively miss as a team and not, did you use a design that I like? Because <laughs> we had already had that discussion. And how would you tackle researching new things um, to use in your tasks? For example, we're you know trying to make a push to go to more test-driven development. 
And one of the tools that uh, I think could be really handy for us is uh, called VCRPI, which just pretty much records and caches your third-party like requests if you're calling like an, a third-party API or something like that. Um, but you know, with any new tool, especially something that's a little bit more complex, there's a learning curve. You have to do you know, research and read the documentation and stuff like that. How would you tackle that um, as a group, or is that something you would actually like try to have handled outside of the session? Very much dependent. Like sometimes there would be we come into a a point. It's like, hey, we need to do blah blah, and somebody be like, let me go look that up, see if there's anything on Stack Overflow that makes sense, or or whatever. Or you know, we're using an API. Like, how do we, you know, how does this API work? And somebody would somebody who's not the driver, the navigator, could go off and look that up really quickly. And then that would, you know, the driver can continue making forward progress and do that. An anti-pattern is where, you know, somebody is disengaged and always looking something up because then they're not, they're not contributing to the conversations as much other than just like just being a, the, the data mule. We would also like do research out of, we would do research as part of the mob. So the driver would go and drive and we would look stuff up and people can go and click off other links and we would discuss the information and come up with a with a solution <laughs> we would also uh sort of split off so we would might we might fork the mob we had four engineers we might fork the mob into two or even just split off individually and each do a spike we did that we were trying to choose uh what basically web web api framework we wanted to use so we took a couple of days and each picked a framework that looked interesting to us and like built out and then gave a little mini presentation of what that looked like. And then we all discussed it and then went back together. So it's a bunch of different ways. I think my suggestion is try, see what works for you. Notice the anti-patterns if they crop up of somebody dominating the conversation, somebody being disconnected or feeling disconnected from, from the group, ego, like if, if somebody's like, no, we have to do it this way because this was my idea, like definitely avoid things like that and notice when, when they come up either in yourself or in other people and, and handle them kindly, mm-hmm. uh, but really try this experiment and say like, what happens if we do this? And it uh, looks like a Matt has their hand up. What do you think is the best way to start doing Mobby? Uh, like uh, we already have some, some workflows here what do you think is better? Like start in a couple hours per day or really moving everyone to, to doing the mob programming? Uh, how you, was your experience with this, these situations? We on our team, if, I believe we kind of went to mob programming full-time right away. So we, um, we might've started out a couple hours a day, but I think we just, we did because we were doing four hours a day anyways like it was just easy to start into it we did do a couple of experiments where we went back to solo development and to compare to make sure that we weren't just writing some you know some shared hallucination about how good this was but this was actually productive and and useful but yeah I think I would jump in 100% and work through whatever see what issues come up you know talk about them and see what can be, what can be done. Uh, it may be, well, at this time, people are pretty used to being on Zoom and a lot. So I don't think there's a adjustment period of, of being in conversations for, four, you know, for several hours a day. 
I think eight hours a day mobbing might be too much. So it might be might be comfortable to like two or three hours of mob programming and then the rest of the day um, working solo on something. But I think, you know, de depending on how things go, I think the team that I was on and, and when we were mob programming, it was my my favorite experience, work experience I've ever had. Just like we were we were hanging out all day writing code and you know, if I was having a low energy day, someone else was high energy, and then I was able to write that energy and, and be productive, rather than, you know, sitting there being like, oh, I can't write the next word <laughs> uh, kind of situation. And, you know, everyone, everyone had a day where they were like, oh, I just not feel like that. And without my programming, that would be a day where there's just sort of like, very slowly making progress. But here it's like they're contributing, because they're just part of it. So I think I went off on a side tangent, but did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, me too. So, <laughs> go ahead. While we're doing you, that's what we're going to do. No, no, I've, I asked like 30, so go, please, if you have Okay, yeah. Uh, I want to know the size of the teams that you use to work and how you handle new incomings, like someone new in the team. How is the process? And if you have like some time to study, I, I, I read some content that they used to start a day uh, like in a study base, one hour and sharing with the team uh, to, to gain more knowledge. And after they dive into Mobi and doing code reviews in the end of the day, uh, how, how is your work day too? It's a lot of questions, sorry. Sure, three questions. I think I'll remember them. So on this particular team, we had, four engineers. Uh, I was what, three and a half because I was director of product and an engineer. So half the time I would be in the mob engineering and half the time I'd be out of the mob doing all the director of product type of things, like having lots of meetings. But the um, handling new people, this is one of my favorite, my favorite things. We, we had a new person join. So we were three engineers and a fourth was, was joining on. And on the first day, his name is Brad. He comes in and he's like, okay, can you guys let me know what's, you know, give you a little overview of what, by the way, we, we, when we interviewed people, we did mob interviews. So Brad was already familiar that we were doing mobbing and stuff like that. So came in and like, can you like, like, I have no idea what you guys are doing. Can you tell me about the product, the project, how it's organized the different pieces and stuff like that to get an idea. And I was like, wait a minute, what if we don't? What if we don't tell you anything about what we're doing and see what happens? And so what was really exciting was Brad was contributing essentially net positive from the very first day because he knows how to program. <laughs> like he's familiar with design patterns and stuff like that. And he didn't have to know the entire scope of the project to be able to say like, oh, I've seen this before. Let's, let's try this pattern. And the by working with us about programming, he gathered a lot of knowledge really, really quickly because he saw us in action doing stuff. And we didn't need to stop the world or take one person out of the mob to like draw a bunch of our system architecture diagrams. Like eventually we did stuff like that, like as needed. We are like, okay, so you understand the context. This is this piece here, this is this piece here. And it's talking to this and we do a little bit of that. Uh, but we didn't have a like, two week onboarding process of like, just, you know, educating, educating, educating the, the mob was the, the education part. And it was really powerful because like I said, net positive 
contribution from day one, um, which was really exciting. And then the third question I heard was uh, dealing with studying. We sort of dealt with that in a in an ad, ad hoc manner. So people would go like research stuff on their own time if they were curious or if there was something we need to figure it out. Be like, why don't you research this, research this, and then we'll come back tomorrow and, and figure that out. I think having a, a fixed time would be interesting. Like it was just like everyone spends an hour learning something new and then bringing it to the group. I think that's really powerful. I personally am more in the sort of do it naturally as needed as opposed to locking in a, a particular time that people do it every day simply because that's rigid and I, I like things flexible and fluid. However, if it's something that you want to do and people aren't really doing it, saying like, let's spend an hour every day doing it, we'll make it happen. And then people get used to it. And then maybe at some point you get rid of that, but like try, <laughs> like give it, give it a shot. So I have a question for, uh, it sounded like you were more of a, one of the senior members on the team. Would that be accurate? Yeah. So how do you handle your opinionated, you know, thoughts on things and trying to guide the project in that direction? You know, even when, you know, there might not be anything technically wrong with uh, a solution that has been come up, right? So I'm, I'm an opinionated person, right? And I want to make sure though that I don't try to force my opinions on other people and that there's actually like a benefit for it. But at the same time, there could be like slight benefits and stuff that maybe don't apply immediately, but is a reason why to take the extra effort to do a different approach, right? You know, like maybe if you wanted to use a decorator versus a function that is just accepting a function as its input, right? They're both pretty much the same solution. One just, it really just comes down to like how they look uh, in Python. So how do you handle that uh, as, a, as a leadership role where you're trying to guide guide without being like forceful and forcing you know your opinions on other people that's a very good question basically i i sort of took the mindset that like whatever the mob sort of decided as a group would go i i mm -hmm. tried not to pull rank as much as possible um and so but there were occasions where you did well probably but the <laughs> thing the thing was I went in with a mindset that I had to convince people of the value of something rather than forcing it upon them. Every once in mm -hmm. a while, like come in and say, okay, look, I, I'm maybe I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this, but we really, really need to sanitize our SQL input into the database or whatever, whatever the thing was like something, obviously like mm -hmm. this is something we have to do or else we will get burned, you know, but for the most part is like had to be able to convince people. And if, mm -hmm. if I couldn't convince them, then that there was value, then like, why are we going to do something if it's, there's not value? And the, to the flip side, like everybody in the group was, was very, uh, was very open-minded and welcoming and would, would like, listen. Um, there, there are some times where there's a guy on our team called Marco and he's Italian. And so being Italian, he's like very, very opinionated about food, very passionate about food. And so there'd be some times when he would hold on very strongly to an idea. And I was like, no, like, sorry, you're, you're, you're incorrect. Like you're factually incorrect. He's like, no, I'm sure this is way. And I was like, okay, are you willing to bet 
Domino's pasta on that. The the insinuation being that if he was if it turned out that he was wrong, he would have to eat a pasta from Domino's Pizza, which is like <laughs> the worst possible thing for him. <laughs> and so it's like I would say, "Will to bet Domino's pasta on that?" And it would it would pause and take a second, like, "Let me think about that." Okay, no, actually, you're right. And so I didn't, you know, generally didn't have to pull rank, like mm-hmm. um, unless it was a you know, this has been dictated, you know, somebody above me has pulled rank on me. So therefore, like, sorry, I don't know how to convince you because I don't necessarily agree, but we have to do this uh, or whatever. So there's, there's some times, but for the most part, I didn't want to. Um, I wanted to sort of share stuff. I'd be like, hey, we should do it this way. Why is that? Well, here, you know, here are the principles that are important to me. Here's why they are important to me. And here's why this method follows those principles and this other method sort of breaks some of these principles which leads to these problems over here and being able to explain it like that like not just like hey if you use a decorator blah 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 blah. it's like okay i think you know i want to decouple code as much as possible and if you if you call out to something then if you want to call out to something else you have to do a lot of work but if you have a decorator around the outside of it attached you know modifying it then the thing inside doesn't care about what's going on outside and you can just add a bunch more things without breaking the code internally. Because one of my principles is, you know, don't, if, if something's working, don't touch it. <laughs> and so using the decorator pattern, this thing can, you know, this is already tested, it works well. Why do I want to mess with it? I just want to wrap mm-hmm. it with something else that works, that I can test that has a very small test footprint and combining those things together, like, I think, you know, I'm, I started talking about composition instead of decorators, but decorators are a way to compose, but like, yeah. And so describing things in that way and, and going to the principles of it and possibly what I've done. And then like, sometimes people just go along with it and not really understand. There was one point where our legal team wasn't able to finish a contract on with the third party vendor we're using because they came back. It's like, you have to stop using blah, blah, blah like okay and one person on my team was like oh man i know how this goes this is in his head he's like i know how this goes we're going to be spending the next you like four weeks trying to pull this code out and it's going to be a mess and like oh man this sucks like a day later we had ripped out that code our the the onboarding process still worked it just had a gaping risk hole but you know everything else just worked we didn't even have to touch the front end because of the way that we'd architected it and he was just like oh my gosh, how did this happen? <laughs> and I was like, well, these, these things. And it's like, oh, I get it now. And so, yeah, sometimes people don't understand and go with it. But like, you know, if you're not able to, to explain the value, then is there really value? I mean, that's, that's a rhetorical sure. question because oftentimes there is value and it's just difficult to explain. But like, yeah, right. it's more I, like- I understand. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. I had one more question written down. So did you find it more engaging with or without cameras on? We generally had cameras off, I think. I think we would, we would join in the morning and we'd have cameras on and we would keep them on and off during the day. But most of the time, I think we kept the cameras off so that we didn't have to, so we didn't have that cognitive overload of like, there's a green light on this computer watching everything I do. So mm-hmm. make sure I don't do anything stupid on screen 
um, when we had sort of discussions that weren't code, um, I think we had tended to have our cameras on, uh, but as we were just day to day, as we were into the meat of programming, I think it was less distracting to be able just to focus on the code, not have to worry about looking at other people, not have to worry about other people looking at us. And so then how did you gauge um, people being engaged with the process? Just how much they talked? Yeah, pretty much. Like this was, it ended up being kind of like a four hour conversation. And sometimes sometimes the the driver would be doing something like a driver and somebody's up on the navigator and there it was like okay we're just filling in a bunch of code and like sometimes the conversation would wander like we talk about pasta we talk about politics we talk about whatever as we're going along and so people were engaged and watching what's going on with the code and also conversing and having stuff yeah if if there's somebody that's particularly quiet they probably are not engaged because there's usually something to talk about something to discuss mm -hmm. and, and jump in and like that it's really easy to be really easy to get engaged with the process because stuff is happening. If you're focusing on what's going on with the code and paying attention, then you're probably going to get sucked in. If the camera's off and you don't have to say anything, then, you know, there are probably going to be people that are like, oh, let's go browse Reddit over here where they're talking about stuff. But, you know, it's, it gets kind of easy to tell when, when there's somebody that is generally not engaged because there's almost always something to, to mention or talk about or stuff like that. And so it could be something as, as simple as that variable is sort of weirdly named. Can we change the name of that? And if there's a typo and like there are three mouse cursors clicking on the same spot and one mouse, one person's mouse cursor isn't clicking, maybe they're not engaged. Like there's, there's all sorts of stuff like that. And I think cameras is one way to mitigate that, but I, it generally, I don't think has been a problem. This is like super fun and engaging. And I think, you know, unless, unless the person were like social interaction is a nightmare, in which case it's kind of difficult for them to get engaged and maybe mob programming isn't the best or some concessions have to be made in order to, to make people feel comfortable. But for the most part, like everyone should be free to chime in. Everyone should have an opinion. Everyone should be engaged and I think that's easier with smaller mobs. So we mobbed with three to five people. Mm -hmm. I've not done a mob with like a dozen people. So I don't know how that would go. We, we kind of, the way that we did a mob, we kind of estimated that above five, we would start seeing diminishing returns of adding more people simply because mm -hmm. we already had such a strong information dense mob where people were contributing pretty heavily that at some point the additional viewpoints and diversity would not significantly impact what was going on and and we just have people being more idle and possibly even disengaged but it's a it's something that every person should keep track of for themselves which is hey i'm not feeling engaged which i do and if, if you're worried about like slackers on the team like writing the mob to not have to do any actual real work. I think those people are very obvious, pretty easy to identify. You know, this is exciting to me. I like talking about this stuff. And uh, I, I think it would be great to, to have a couple more questions and then like just dive into it and, mm -hmm. and, and give it a shot. Yep. I'd like to, to see how you all do it and be able to like answer questions in real time as you do mobbing. Cause like 
we can mob the mob. We've mobbed all sorts of things. And Matt, we we'll get to your question. But like <laughs> my, my direct reports, they mobbed their performance feedback, like their self-evaluations. They got together and did mob programming on their performance reviews because they were all working together on the same stuff. So they, they, they were able to discuss what they'd done. Um, like, oh yeah, we did that, blah, blah, blah. And then each of them added their own on top of that, which is like, you know, somebody in the group would tend to be a, have strengths over in this area and somebody in the group tend to have strengths over in this area. So they'd add that to the group, but like they mob, they mob their performance feedback. It was awesome. Like, so mobbing, mobbing the mob is fun. Like we can, we can mob program and also mob program the mob programming to see like, what can we do here? Let's have different discussions. So yeah. We're, we're meta mobbing. Yeah, exactly. It's super fun. Mob everything. <laughs> uh, but Matt, go ahead. Yeah. How do you involve a, a project manager or a project owner in the mob process? Uh, they, they assume the roles like uh, drivers and navigators. They just uh, join in, in some talks and uh, how we should uh, interact with this, this host. Yeah, so like the obviously the amount of technical guidance they're going to provide is is going to be somewhat small. Like a non-technical PM probably hasn't read the Gang of Four book on design patterns or hasn't solved some particularly hairy database performance things. So like they're not going to contribute there. There's a lot of ways they can contribute. So you know if you're you know I I'm, I don't know how you're process works but like if you have um user stories like those user stories are driven from user requirements and business requirements and there's a lot of context and so if you're if you're fleshing out a user story it may be like okay what do we want to do here and then the the non-technical person will be like well you know the the context behind this i can add a little bit more is you know our users are blah, 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 blah. And so the purpose of the user story is to be able to do blah. Like ideally that would be captured succinctly in a user story, but like how often does that happen? Like that it, it takes a lot of practice to get there and arguably you can skip that step if the person writing the user story is in the mob doing the user stories or talking about this. So you don't have to have like completely 100% fleshed out user stories if the person there is able to give context and, and direct stuff on the fly. So there's a lot of sort of like business and non-technical ways that a non-engineer can contribute. And then also like there probably are technical ways that people can contribute because if you've been in a software company for any particular amount of time, you've probably picked up stuff, even if you're not an engineer, not a very technical person. You'd be like, you know, I heard about something, something on a podcast the other day is that something we could use here oh great idea blah 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 so you'd be surprised at like where ideas come from we've gotten some fantastic insights on strengthening your team but what about other ways you can strengthen your team i've assembled an eight-page guide on the four quadrants of strengthening your team with key insights from more than 11 veteran tech team leaders to get yours grab the link below this video I'm so glad you joined us today. If this video was helpful, give it a like, go ahead and subscribe and hit the bell so that tech and startup videos continue to show up in your feed. I'll see you in the other videos.